Welcome to Emotional and Spiritual Well-Being, the podcast that balances psychology and spirituality, helping you achieve well-being by discussing how the mind, will, and emotions interplay with the spiritual and physical. Here is your host, Sharon Wegman. Hi, welcome to our podcast. My name is Sharon Wegman, and I'm a licensed professional counselor in... Berks County, Pennsylvania. Why Missing is the city that we're in. And I'm joined by my co-host, Kate Byler. Kate, will you introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, my name is Kate. I have a master's in trauma counseling and working towards my licensure and is here working at the practice with Sharon. So we try to make podcasts that are things that we see in our practice across the board Um, so that we can create resources for people to be able to listen to, to understand things better. And today we'd really like to talk about um, self-harm because we see so much self-harm and I think a lot of people don't know how that came to be. Mm -hmm. And we feel like it would be helpful to explain for people how self-harm starts and how it continues. Yeah, also, I think the topic of self-harm is hard to talk about for most people. So this is a way for you then to talk about it after hearing this and not be so afraid of the subject. Because when people think of self-harm, I think it's primarily in the form of cutting, but it can also come in different uh, ways, even in... Uh, weight loss or eating disorders. Absolutely. Tattoos. Tattoos, burnings, piercings, mm-hmm. um, picking at scabs and wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, Pulling your hair out. Yes. Uh, Sometimes uh, even just like scratching yourself to the point of like bleeding or feeling something. And so um, it doesn't always have to be this uh, what you see in the movies or TV shows as like straight up using a razor to cut yourself yeah no it's so many different things that i think sometimes it can fly under the radar i mean even relationships sometimes in a form of like self-harm of just choosing people that are bad for you i mean it's just a really broad topic but this is more so for people that self-harm physically right so we would say that the typical age for most self-harmers to become self-harming <laughs> are, is around age 14. It could be as young as 11 or 12, though. And it's become so popular in culture of youth that sometimes it's something that is emulated at a younger age. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially now with social media and TV shows, but it definitely, we found that it really depends on the research we've done on the type of home life you have and how you're growing up and what your environment is like. Right. So kids get to the age of 12, 13, 14, Mm -hmm. and analytical thought begins. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's in that place of analytical thought, they start being very aware of emotions. And you know this if you've been a parent of a teenager. Emotions become stronger, and how to process those is not always easy. Right. And then when they don't know how to process or 
maybe don't have the person to process to or feel safe, it comes out in the form of self-harm um, because it is a complex emotion for them to be able to understand, uh, like depression or feeling anxious. Um, it's easier to cope with it and deal with it sometimes by harming yourself. Right. And the harming of self is really like an endorphin release. Mm -hmm. I cause pain and mm -hmm. then endorphins are rushed to that area. So I get a little bit of a high as a result of self-harming. Right. Um, sometimes I'm that way with really hot Indian food. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> like I have it really hot and it's burning and, ho and really hot, but I'm going to feel really happy afterwards. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and that's how it is for a lot of these kids. They're not necessarily. Um, individuals who have been abused mm -hmm. um, some of them have history of sexual physical or verbal abuse mm -hmm. um, some of them can be very sensitive kids like empaths yeah um, some of them can be perfectionists and overachievers um, because of what's going on in there but all of it whether just regular kids all of it is a result of whatever's happening in their family Right, and sometimes it's that need for control where it's like if they can't control what's going on in their family or in their environment, this is something they can control and have a say over. Right. So if um, parents are not adjusting their freedoms to, um, with, uh, to their children but continue to remain controlling, that can cause a lot of self-harm. So we'll see that happen in families where there's so much control mm -hmm. that that child feels so powerless that they in turn have to self-harm in order to feel like they have power over something. Right, and a say over something. And if they were to express those ugly feelings, they don't know if they would be condemned or it would be made a big deal. Um, with that overparenting of like, even if I wanted to tell you that I'm self-harming, how would you take this? So it does stay secret then too. That's why it's a very secret type of almost like a coping mechanism, but um, it stays secret, I think. And it's not attention getting as much because if it was attention getting, it wouldn't be done in secret. Absolutely. So kids at that age, they don't have coping mechanisms. They have not developed healthy coping mechanisms. And so what happens is um, they develop unhealthy coping mechanisms <laughs> to deal with their stress. And if parents aren't helping them talk about coping mechanisms or modeling coping mechanisms, that can be uh, a feed into developing the unhealthy coping mechanisms. Right. And it's a really complex subject, too, because sometimes the kids do it because they're punishing themselves even or they feel guilty yes, about something. That's true. Um, whether they feel responsible for something that was done to them or like that they're witnessing in the house or just even tension. It doesn't have to be like Sharon said, like someone that's being abused all the time. It can just be a sensitive kid that is blaming themselves and then self-punishment and guilt come in. But at that age, between 12 and 14, they can't do that emotional math to be like, I feel guilty. That's why I'm doing this. Right. <laughs> That's so true. I'm restricting food because I'm feeling stressed. Right. They just don't know right. that they're doing it. They just know it works. Mm -hmm. And that it gives them some type of power. Right. So um, it's it's 
it's basically helping kids learn how to develop healthy coping mechanisms and be able to speak up in their homes and feel like they can have empowerment, Mm -hmm. which is why we see more women, more girl females Mm -hmm. versus males have this self-harm problem because in general, in society, women have less power. Right. And also women just struggle more with feeling insecure about their bodies and other things too. If, if we're talking about restricting food or even just like how they want to look, there's, so there's a lot of facets to it that it's not just one thing. It's not very black and white. No, it's, it's not black and white. And um, parents just need to be watching for these coping mechanisms mm-hmm. to come in play look for the signs and then don't try and clamp down on the actual behavior because that's their coping mechanism. Right. You say you're never allowed to do that again or you take them to the emergency room because you somehow perceive it as Mm -hmm. suicidal. What will happen is they will hide it more like Kate said. And so a lot of families need to get healthy in their ability to express pain right and the ability to learn how to cope with pain mm-hmm. without blow-ups and without shaming shame is a big trigger for a lot of our self-harmers yeah shame and um a lot of it too is they're carrying a lot of emotional weight mm-hmm. and a, what i've come across with a lot of self-harmers is that if they were to express this to their caregiver that care they might make more emotional turmoil in their household by expressing (laughs) their need and like this habit or this poor coping mechanism the parent might overreact or then that person again is responsible and feels guilty again that's true (laughs) for causing turmoil so i mean it's almost like as well those that they are that the self-harmer is confiding into we need to be able to um kind of be calm and collective and understand help help ourselves understand why from them they do what they do instead of jumping into panic mode yeah i think parents in general don't want their children to be stirred up (laughs) right they don't want their child to have negative emotions and so when this child approaches them with it, it can cause a lot of emotionalism, mm-hmm. whether it's crying or yelling or a lot of questioning. Please, <laughs> parents, if there's anything out there, stop asking a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as and and then I can't then I as the child, I can't talk about it with you. And I have to now take care of your emotions. Mm-hmm. That's really hard for parents because no parent wants their child to be struggling. And so sometimes they can force um, the child to inadvertently clamp down on their negative emotions. Right. And kind of the child then feels like, oh, okay, I'm never going to talk about this again. Right. Because that went horribly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. The myth is this is not attention seeking. Mm -hmm. This is not attention seeking. They are using an inappropriate coping mechanism to to make themselves feel better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not always connected to suicide. No, absolutely not. That's now, a, now, people that do self-harm 
sometimes there's a correlation there, not a causation, but a correlation that there have been suicide attempts for those of that have self-harm. But it doesn't mean if your child is self-harming or someone you know is self-harming is wanting to commit suicide. Actually, that's sometimes a way they don't. And it's a coping mechanism to help them get through till they're able to talk to a professional about what they're feeling. So if anyone confides in you, don't assume they want to commit suicide because you will scare them away immediately. Right. Um, The cutting, the self-harm can escalate, Mm -hmm. but it is, again, not moving towards suicidal behavior. Mm -hmm. It's just an evidence that they don't have coping skills yet, and we need to empower them to do that. So no punishment. Right. Um. (laughs) No shaming, no crying, but just like we have to figure this out as a family and we have to empower this child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, punishing them for that is just going to make it worse. Right. So like ultimatums, not going to work. <laughs> like don't ever say you're never going to do this again or we're going to put you in a hospital. Right. They need a good support system who is capable of talking about negative emotions Mm -hmm. and helping them develop positive coping skills for their negative emotions. So, you know, most of what parenting is, is empowering a child. And sometimes it's empowering a child to be able to process negative emotions. Yeah. And if you yourself as a parent haven't learned how to deal with negative emotions in a healthy way, that's a bit of a roadblock for this child getting better. And again, pointing, right. we're going to always point back to therapy over and over, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pointing back for the parent to mm-hmm. do the therapeutic work that they need to do right? in order for them to be less controlling, less reactive, less, and more empowered to talk about negative feelings without crying. Mm-hmm. And feeling like your child's going to do something that you don't want them to do. I think what I found a lot with my self-harmers, at the same time, they really want to be trusted by their parents. And when they don't feel trusted, that makes them feel very um, disempowered, especially when they hit that teenage of like, well, I'm not allowed to be alone in my room when I'm upset now, or they take <laughs> took my door off my <laughs> my room which I, it does happen yeah. but like these you know and but that makes them feel like oh my parents now don't trust me at all to make these good decisions and so there's that balance there of like not letting your kid do whatever after you find this out but also empowering them that they can change and they're you're allowing them to be open with you and there's that constant communication it's not living in fear all the time and hovering over them yeah the goal is not just coping but self-respect that Mm -hmm. child can have self-respect because you have taught them how to respect themselves by your engagement with them Mm -hmm. and you have built their self-esteem by allowing them to become more and more empowered right whether it's release of responsibilities release of freedoms uh, you know all of these things are helpful to a child's Mm self-worth they're gonna feel powerful and empowered if you are slowly releasing more and more freedoms to them as opposed to continuing to control them right and what they're doing yeah 
And your kids could be getting help in therapy for self-harm, but depending on how long it's been going on, it does become habit-forming at times, um, which, which makes it a little trickier to kind of just stop. I don't know how else to put it is like there's um, and that's why there's other strategies that they teach you like waiting 15 minutes when that urge comes and see what happens after 15 minutes if you still feel like you need to because I mean I know there are kids that don't want to but it's become such a habit that to stop feels wrong almost like when you have a cup of coffee in the morning it's just it becomes habitual. So I think that's something too people take for granted when they think of self-harm or self-injurious behavior, that it it can't be habit-forming, just like any other wrong coping mechanism we use, whether that be sugar or, you know, anything. Right. So I guess what we would say is don't react, <laughs> right? Don't react and, and work on empowering your child. And there's lots of different ways you can do that. Uh, I personally have been a counselor for about, oh, I'm edging in on 25, 27 years. I have to count that out. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that the parents who use a lot of control of freedoms as their means of um, monitoring their child's mm-hmm. safety, they in turn create a child who has to do a lot of secret, powerful behaviors right. in, in secret. And, and that's that's upsetting, but I've watched it play itself out over and over all these years. So sometimes sometimes homes in which there's a lot of um, religion mm-hmm. used to control, yes. that can sometimes influence a lot of um, self-harmers. Yeah, and it, it's, some, it's something that usually can continue with self-harmers too because if they're going to church or youth group unfortunately most churches and youth groups don't talk about this so again that adds to the shame and secrecy of it because if and maybe when we did talk about it we said it was a sin so it's just a hot (laughs) mess really about how we go about helping kids understand this and these urges Um, and not okaying it, but normalizing that they have bad feelings and that they felt like they needed to to do something with it. Sure. And and we as parents can even model that by saying, I feel really out of stressed out and controlled. So I want to go eat a bag of M&Ms. Right. That's not going to be helpful to me in the long run, but it's my urge at that moment. Right. So the more you do emotional math out loud as a parent saying, I'm feeling this and that makes me want to do this, Mm -hmm. you help your child learn emotional math and and it just teaches them that that you yourself do your own level of self-harm. Yeah, exactly. We're all have our bad coping mechanisms <laughs> that we probably still do today. So it's being able to humanize that for your kid and your for your teen, especially in religious homes or Christian environments where sin is taught a lot in the very beginning and kids don't know how to take all that in and feel good about themselves then. Absolutely. So parents really have to be vulnerable and share their own stories of their own struggles to humanize themselves and to allow that child to feel comfortable talking about their own stuff. Yeah. Um, So again, we're just saying this is a very common behavior. 
Mm-hmm. We would say, I would say 35 to 50% of that age group does yeah. some type of At least self-harm. And it, can develop, and it can develop into other types of self-harm as mm-hmm. they age. Yeah. It can add different things to it. Right. Um, we would even say, like, the not that tattoos are bad, not that piercings are bad. Right. But we see more adults do that when they're worked up. Right. They go get that pain release and they... they and, Again, I'm not saying tattoos are bad or piercings are wrong, but the idea is sometimes we don't realize that that can be a sign of self-harm as well. Not always. Right. But sometimes. (laughs) It depends on what your motive behind it is. So if you'd like us, if you'd like us or um, to come and speak to your youth mm-hmm. group, to your church about it, to empower you, that's something that we'd really like to do. Um, we just like to empower the community that we're a part of because an empowered community helps our children. Yeah, and not to be afraid to talk about subjects that are taboo or uncomfortable because... Just because you talk about it doesn't mean someone's going to go out and do it. No. It's actually the opposite. They actually. usually feel a lot better. <laughs> yeah, somebody who talks about suicide and the mm-hmm. desire to do it is just really talking about, I want my life to change. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily saying, I'm going to die, but they don't know how to actually get there. Right. So. It just feels like I don't want to exist. And that's where, you know, cutting or self-harm is just, I don't want to feel these feelings. Or maybe I don't feel anything, (laughs) and this gives me something to feel. So it doesn't have to be a scary thing. Um, It's not a good coping behavior, but it's what they're doing. And so to talk about it and find new ones, you can't find new ones if you don't talk about it. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. We're going to be releasing another podcast next month. But um, feel free to give us a call if you're interested in understanding this more and or if we can access um, additional resources and counseling Mm -hmm. for you or your household. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks for listening to Emotional and Spiritual Well-Being with Sharon Wegman. For more resources or to have Sharon speak at your meeting or event, please visit wellspringssolutions.com.